Hello and welcome back to another E3 2021 Summer of Gaming, Season of Gaming, Summer Games Fest. There's a lot of names flying around uh, and there's lots of games being shown. Today, in this episode, we're talking about Square Enix and their E3 21 presentation and I've got fellow editor of Player 2, Stephen Del Prado, on board to talk all about it. Big Square Enix fan like myself. How are you, mate? Doing pretty well. Enjoying a cold beverage in this uh, lovely winter temperatures we've got going on for both of us at this point. Yeah. Um, I, we, we were talking beforehand about the, the state of my internet at the moment, how things are a little bit wonky, and naturally the very first few seconds of the recording, that's when things start to trip out. So we're off to a good start. Um, Square Enix had their Square Enix Presents presentation today and showed off a few games, a few that they'd kind of signposted beforehand and others that just kind of popped up during the conference. We're going to kind of go through those blow by blow. But before we kind of dive into the, the specifics of them, any surface level thoughts from you? I'd say disappointed because I, I didn't expect much out of them, to be honest. Uh, I think for a while I haven't really felt that Square Enix is at the top of their game in a lot of ways, either as a developer or a publisher. So yeah. you know, I, I didn't really have the bar set very high. Yeah, that's fair. Well, I guess that's probably the, the best cue for us to then just kind of jump straight into actually what was discussed. So they kicked things off, in my opinion, very, very well, though albeit maybe... A, it took a little bit long, was maybe a little bit bloated, but they showed off a hell of a lot of what had been previously leaked and now officially confirmed the Guardians of the Galaxy game coming from Idos Montreal. Games coming this this holiday, October 21st, if I remember the date off the top of my head. Um, but what'd you make of what you saw? It looks fine. Like, it, you know, it's a... October 26th, by the way. Bogs, you your bog standard third person action adventure game, which is Sony's bread and butter these days. So I'm sure Xbox fans will be happy to get that genre represented on their system. Yeah. Um, look, it's not Avengers, which is a real good start. <laughs> and we'll get to Avengers shortly, I'm sure. But like the fact that it's single player, we're not blending into this online Destiny style shared world sort of crap. It's just single player thing is a, is a good starting point, I would say. And to be fair, it looked yeah, pretty it, flashy in Guardians of the Galaxy E as well. So tonally it fits, it works. It seems like they're hitting those notes right. I'll, I'll probably give it a go. My only concerns will be, does it overstay its welcome? Which is, you know, it seems to be my major concern with a lot of games these days. And I was some, like, speaking of Avengers, I was like, wow, I wonder if you get to control the whole party. Like, you get to jump between and try out the different combat modes between each of the Guardians, but it looks like you're just Star-Lord the entire time, and yeah. I don't know if he's the most exciting character when it comes to combat in that series. It looks like they've taken some cues from Vanquish and a few other sort of third-person action games in the way he controls, but whether that will hold up for the entire length of that game, I guess we'll see. Yeah, I mean, did they outright say that you'll be playing as Peter Quill the entire time or have they kind of, just in their PR speak, given themselves that wiggle room to say, surprise, you're playing as Rocket Raccoon or Drax later on? Right now we watched the trailer. So from the trailer, it made it look like you were only playing as Star-Lord and I have to imagine that 
you know, your standard third-person action-adventure game, very rarely do you switch between characters. Yeah. And when you do, it's usually only for a very brief amount of time to juxtapose sort of the power fantasy of the main character. If you look at Uncharted, or, I mean, not Uncharted, but um, Last of Us, when in the first game you switch to Ellie, it's you're somewhat underpowered compared to Joel yeah. in some ways. And then if you look at Insomniac Spider-Man, when you go to the Mary Jane sections, you have to stealth it because she is not a made-for-combat character. Let it be noted so... that is, of course, the worst part of that, that game, is the Mary Jane stealth sequences. So no, I, I agree, you though. Are just... Maybe you are just Star-Lord the whole time. They they could throw something else in, but it generally, it seems like they use those sequences to give you something totally different, not just a variation. Look, I'll give them credit. They showed, I mean, like I said, it may be dragged on just a little bit too long, but they did show a lot of gameplay, They, which is, I guess, given what had happened with Avengers last year, people probably needed to see that. They needed to feel sure in what the game actually was first. So messaging-wise, they, they did a good job there, albeit the fact that they may be stuck around a little bit too long. And again, that could just be trying to wash the taste of Avengers out of some people's mouths. I'm, you know, so then they went back to it later on. <laughs> I'm pretty wary of games as a service these days anyway. I, I think I've talked to you and Matt about it before, but I honestly think that model is untenable going forward. I think people settle in to one or two titles in that genre and it's very very hard to move them when you've got them crossing generations as they do with destiny and final fantasy 14 and all these other sorts of online titles i think it's really hard to get them onto something else and to keep them there yeah i think you're right i, th- I think a lot of people are if they haven't yet they'll soon start to realize that they're getting they're trying to lock you down in the exact same way that the console manufacturers are so you know i mean how you know sony or xbox will try and keep you with achievements or the fact that your library carries across or any of those sorts of things those systems are designed sure they you know they look very consumer friendly and all that sort of thing but they are designed to get you to keep you within that ecosystem and i think we're seeing the same sort of thing starting to occur with your destinies and your divisions and obviously the mmos as well it's it's also quite intimidating to recommit to a new one of these things because they are if you want to get right into the deep end and really explore the end game, we're talking hundreds of hours of your of your life that you're committing to these things. It's interesting because in the board game world, the parallels would be things like you know Magic the Gathering or Arkham Horror the card game or Marvel Champions, which they're one of the terms that gets used for them is lifestyle games because you build your lifestyle around that game. It becomes the really the main thing that you play and that is how a lot of people play those games as a service games like you we're talking Fortnite, a lot of mmos i know and you probably know people who for destiny it's you know that's pretty much the main thing they play yeah and obviously i mean we it wasn't that long ago really that you'd take the piss out of people with the world of warcraft for example and how they just completely topple down that well and it's the exact same sort of story yeah, it, well, it's the way it's designed. It's supposed to be the only game that you spend any time playing so that they can monetize that. Yeah. So next up on the list is a heartbreaker for for me. Um, I, I feel you're probably feeling fairly similar as well. Final Fantasy 1 through to 6, Matt's, oh, Matt's made a typo on the site, 1 through 6 it is, um, is getting what they've dubbed to be a pixel remaster. So it's not a 2D, 3D, a 2D HD thing like what we recently saw with Dragon Quest 3. It's not one of those little 3D kind of chibi model things they've gone with on the DS. It's a pixel remaster, whatever that will ultimately mean. The catch is that they're coming to mobile and PC and not the consoles. 
at least for now. Thoughts? You know I have many of them, and they're not going to be very popular. But yeah. why Why does anyone want to go back and play these games? Like, four to six I can understand to a degree. Yeah, one through three one is to rough. Three, it's rough. Like, I I was a huge Final Fantasy fan. I like to say I'm reformed these days. And I feel like most of those series are the same. Like, they're so hard to go back to from a streamlining perspective. Like, and then at least in Dragon Quest, you have things like Eleven, which are very much sort of throwbacks and in that same mold. Final Fantasy's nothing like it was yeah. back in those days. It's, Who it's are a, these for? Is it the people that just hit that buy button because they've turned Final Fantasy into a core aspect of their identity and they just cannot move on or let go? Like, oh, yes, I see you raising <laughs> your hand there. James. Yeah, um, I mean, I 100% would. Like, that's my point of frustration. The thing is, like, why the fuck not the consoles? Like, um, and, and to to your point, like uh, I'd argue, there is kind of a point of no return when you're going backwards with some of the, uh, with a franchise like Final Fantasy, and I would say it's very very hard unless you are playing it purely to get some historical context. Um, there's almost no reason to go play Final Fantasy one, two, three, five. I'd even argue in the same boat, but you know that's I know I kind of am in a minority when it comes to a stance on five. Six is obviously brilliant. I'm like I. I've been hoping for that and probably my eyes lit up at this remaster or what it, yeah, this pixel remaster just at the thought that I might finally get to play six on a more modern platform because I don't want to play it on a mobile. And they've been weirdly holding back on that one of all the final fantasies. So it is odd. I mean, I look at what the re-releases of seven, eight and nine and all of the usability adjustments they made to those, you know, to streamline them because a lot of that stuff is holdovers from old technology. A lot of yeah. the systems and mechanics are the way they are because one, that's how you did it. And two, the technology restrained them in such a way that they had to design it like that. Like, oh, these games have to be long. So there has to be random battles. Um, we can't show enemies on the screen because we don't have the memory for that capability. All these other sorts of things that... I wonder if they're going to put any of that stuff in there for these as well. And I think the other reason we're not seeing console is that consoles can run their big new titles. And mobile phones generally cannot, and nor can the Switch. So I think the bigger yeah. shocker to <laughs> We are recording this in a now. vacuum right yeah. now when it comes to the Switch. I would not be surprised to see them come to the Switch, but... Well, that is an interesting thing. I so, like, Dragon Quest 1, 2, and 3 are all on the Switch, Western side. Like, yep. you can you can get those games. And also, and to their credit, and to kind of the point about, you know, who'd necessarily want to get these, like, Final Fantasy 1, 2, 3, those first three Dragon Quests, which are incredibly dated, and there's very little reason really to go back to them again outside of maybe that historical context, you can pick them up for less than 10 Australian dollars, and that was their starting price a piece. So, like, it's... Oh, yeah. They're not asking for a huge chunk of change to to make it happen, which I appreciate. Um, it would be a hard ask to go down the the Nintendo model, for example, and say and stick a premium price on these things. So I do appreciate kind of their approach when it comes to the price side of things, but yeah, it's it's a tricky situation they're in, and again, they're leaving some markets out to dry, and probably I guess for something like Final Fantasy, you'd argue their most hardcore market out to dry at the moment. So, it's a weird one. I can, I can see that. But again, I, I also find something kind of hilarious about 
booting up a PlayStation 5 or a Series X or even a you know a, a beefy PC to run Final Fantasy 1. Yeah. Yeah, no, I I'd agree with that. It it's it's a weird sort of look, but um if they bring it to PlayStation, I'm 100% going to do it. So Screenix. Uh speaking of games being remastered, the next one up is Legend of Mana, uh which we've known about for a while now. This isn't necessarily a surprise. In fact, the game's out in like 10 days from now. Um we were discussing it before we started recording. You're not overly big on Legend of Mana. Neither am I really. It's, uh, I mean, I did my full kind of, I did my game of school thing there and addressed the whole thing and it remained very neutral the whole way through because it was meant to be, you know, very history-based and just focusing on the facts. But it's a weaker entry in the franchise. In fact, it's probably the point, I'd argue, where things really started to slide. It was kind of I, a tipping point. I I did some importing on the PS1. I had legit copies of Chrono Cross and Xenogears and Legend of Mana. And that game sucked. Like, yeah. it was definitely not a high point for Squaresoft on the PlayStation 1. It's definitely not a high point for the Mana series. It's great that we're finally getting an official release in Australia because Lord knows we haven't had one before this, but I'm just yeah, not interested in playing it. I'm just not interested in playing old ass games that aren't as good as other old-ass games yeah. they have never officially released here, Chrono Cross and Xenogears. Look, it's a weird one, um, but you can also kind of see the pecking order in Square Enix's mind. So I think about how, like, Adventures, Adventures of Mana, the, I guess, what was it, Final Fan- what was it called? Final Fantasy Legend or whatever back in the day? I can't remember what it was, but the one that ultimately kicked off. Yeah, Final Fantasy Legend. It kicked off the Mana franchise. Like, that came to the Vita a while back, but only digitally. Then Secret of Mana rolled along. Physical. Wait a minute. Are you suggesting that Square sometimes slapped the Final Fantasy name onto products to boost sales? <laughs> Back in the day, I just 100%. want people to hold that thought for a for a point that we'll get to later in this discussion. <laughs> oh shit! Yeah, okay. Very nice foreshadowing. Um, but then, like Secret of Mana and Second Densetsu Three, or as we now know it, um, oh shit, what's what they call it? Rise right? of Mana. Yeah, trials. That's right. Uh, tri- uh, trials and Mana, like they got the full retail treatment, and that's you know, it's, I think most people would agree they're the best two games in the series. And all of a sudden, we go back to a game that was considered a little bit lesser, and we're going back to a full all digital re- uh, release here. And I'm sure that's going to continue. They are clearly making it a, be- a priority to, well, not the highest priority, but it's something on the list that we're going back through this franchise and and getting them back out there. And you can see the pecking order internally and kind of how they rate these games in terms of profitability and worthiness in terms of how they're actually putting these games out there. Oh, for sure. And it'd be like the ease of up them. And I have to wonder with, you know, some of the AI technology that's out there now, how much of this is just them grabbing those old assets and feeding it through that tech to get those up images? Because that makes things a heck of a lot easier. It does make a big difference, yeah. So, I don't know, we'll see. As you said before, the game's out in 10 days. Um... I'm in no great hurry to play it, though I won't object if it just lands on my desk, Matt. Um, and we'll see how that goes. The next chunk here is one that we can probably breeze through fairly quickly, unless there's any that really strike you. So we had kind of the mobile segment, uh, which included Hitman Sniper, I believe is out in like a day or two, as uh, I think I spotted in the timeline there. So that's at the latest mobile entry. We we saw that get announced, was it the last Squirinix Presents, or maybe at the end of the year last year? Somewhere around Hitman 3 time, I think, was kind of when they announced it, potentially. Um, but yeah, that's out in a day or two. There's uh, Near Reincarnation, 
which has been, I think, pretty big in Japan already and is now making the, the jump across c- command-based RPG. And then Final Fantasy VII, The First Soldier, which that's the Battle Royale one, I think. That's also That also got a trailer, but and that was most, basically just confirming that it's coming to the West because up to that point it hadn't been confirmed. Any of those mobile games do anything for you at all? Hitman, maybe, depending on the monetization model it's using, but the other two, absolutely not, because I know what monetization model they're going to be using. Yeah. The most cash-grabby of the lot. I'm 100% with you. I'm tempted to check out Hitman, but that's that's about it. Um, I might try out First Soldier just for you know the sake of saying I've tried it out and, and then I didn't like it and deleted it, but that's about it. Or I saw the paywall within the first mi- five minutes and deleted it. Um. We, I am we conscious both know of. What isn't. Yeah, and it isn't a Crisis Core remake. <laughs> no, it's not. As much as they might want to try and, yeah, just give me my Crisis Core remake, right? Or bake it into Seven Remake. Let's let's go already. Um, next up is one of the, one of the other. Uh, sorry, no, I think I've just missed one. There's Avengers as well. Uh, so we saw War for Wakanda. Yeah. Um, not a lot else as a PlayStation guy. We're almost a year out since the launch and I'm still wondering where my Spider-Man is. Um, that's meant to be exclusive to PlayStation. Again, people, but... This is one of the things that is a huge red flag for me. We've known about that Black Panther content for a long time and they delayed the release out of respect for Chadwick Boseman. And we get to this point and that's still all they have to show. Yeah. I think uh, they're going to wrap up all their prior commitments. So War for Wakanda, Spider-Man eventually, and then they might anthem this thing. Let's just keep playing, but we're not supporting it anymore. And I, I'd rather, I'd like that for Crystal Dynamics. I'd be happy for them to be able to move back on and get back to a game that's more in their wheelhouse, I suppose. Whether it's Tomb Raider or something else. I might be misremembering, but I, I swear I've read something where Square Enix discussed that, yeah, like, it just didn't do anywhere near the financials they expected it to or needed it to. Yeah, right. And I, they, they're, a, they're a business. They get to a point where you're spending good money after bad, so... It has actually become profitable and, in the end, but not enough. It took a while. No, it was it, They were in... To... Like, it, it, for a while there, the losses they took from um, from Avengers more than offset the incredible Licensing profits they made from Final Fantasy VII Remake. Like, that set of remake was massive for them, and yet the losses they took for Avengers, like, killed those profits almost instantly. Um, they've since clawed that back because they've been selling the game cheap, and they've, they've managed to twist, uh, twist enough arms, I think, purely through the Avengers name and nothing more. You know, young kids going, I want to play as Iron Man, or whatever. You've taken what is arguably the the most profitable film franchise in the entire history of the art form and you Butchered couldn't it. turn that into anything worth playing apparently it's a shame <laughs> and still surprising to this day but but it's not surprising like games as a service that, that so many of them live and die in that first month well let's oh, yeah. be honest, most of them die in that first but again, I, I guess where where it's surprising to me is the fact that it's the Avengers. And to your point a moment ago, like you would have thought that even a somewhat mediocre title, they would have been able to push through that, but they haven't. So, no. Uh, 
and I wonder if they ha- wouldn't have done a bit better if they had pushed it to this early window in the newer console generation, had yeah. a bit more time to polish it, because that thing came out rough, and it was already at a point where they'd pushed it back a number of times, and I think they had to shit or get off the pot. Yeah, 100%. Um, and I'd look, at probably in many ways for the industry, it's probably not a bad thing. Like, it's a big warning shot for everyone else that it doesn't matter how big you are, how successful you've been in the past, if you, you cock up, it's it's all over. Like you can uh, you can be the Avengers and you can still fall on the sword. Like that's how volatile things can be. And so I think it's hopefully a good lesson for everyone else. Shame for the for the game. A shame for Square Enix. A shame for Crystal Dynamics. But they're all still here. They'll learn from it. You hope. I mean, Guardians of the Galaxy isn't a live service game. But this this next one is Babylon's Fall, um, and that's really disappointing. <laughs> Look, Platinum makes some great stuff. They are very talented developers. But I don't know if this one's going to hit quite right. And that's okay, because not everything you do can be the best thing you've ever done. Yeah. But as I've said, and this is... I don't know if I'm being overly judgy, but it really looks like multiplayer Lords of the Fallen with a schmear of Skyward Sword art style over the top. Yeah, it's kind of a hand painterly sort of thing, which, I mean, we were discussing before the recording kind of the... the what I deemed to be kind of the compression that they'd use for the for the sake of the stream, which didn't hold up compared to, say, what we saw from um, from Guardians of the Galaxy or or even, uh, what you would call it, Life is, uh, Life is Strange, which we'll touch on shortly. But... It was still. It's a big it, didn't, issue. it didn't translate well, and it didn't look all that crash hot in the gameplay sense either, which is not what I expect from Platinum. No, it didn't. It didn't really grab me, but again, it, Platinum games feel a lot different in the hands than they do on the eyes. That's true. And as you've mentioned, a huge a huge problem for this industry going forward is how do you show games at their best possible light when we're inherently using flawed. Uh, compression codecs that are often sub 4k or even sub 1080p and that's how people are supposed to make a judgment as to how a game presents itself visually you can spend all the time in the world working on you know dolby atmos and someone's listening to it through a tinny laptop speaker like it's it's just really hard to present this stuff now because not everyone's using gear that can present it in the best way possible yeah or even or even like a semi-decent way. It's there's such there's such a spectrum of ways of accessing this stuff and can cause a lot of issues. And to be fair, I think in spite of all that, it still didn't show very well. I would hope that we will see like a 4K, like we just we've uploaded here. It is in 4K. Go and check it out your own time, sort of thing, just so that we can at least sit back in the cold light of day and then consolidate or maybe distance ourselves from that initial opinion in terms of how it looks. But again, in terms of how it plays, I'm a little bit skeptical. So. And I'm not much of a multiplayer guy, so I would I would want a hands-on to see how it plays, but also this seems to me like a title that would probably benefit from that day-and-date Game Pass scenario where it's really easy to find a bunch of other people playing it because everyone's giving it a crack. Well, let's hope for their sake that PlayStation has themselves an equivalent because it's coming exclusively to PS4, PS5, and PC. So I well, don't think they should be banking on that PS4. for a while. Either. PS now. PS now, they just won't give it to us. <laughs> <laughs> oh, like PS not yet. 
yeah. PS1 of these days. The next game is one that I think there's... Oh, sorry, go on. It could be a plus title. They could do that. They might need to at this rate. The next game is one that I think most people are fairly unanimously positive about. Uh, That's Life of Strange True Colors. Oh, for sure. Like, the the only thing that I think people maybe had some reservations about, and not even that many is that once again, it's deck nine on development duties as opposed to the original don't developers. Don't, no, don't nod. Nod. Um, But deck nine did a great job with Before the Storm. And as a huge Life is Strange fan, I was extremely happy with uh, the way they carried themselves um, through that uh, entire uh, series of episodes. Yeah. So I'm extremely looking forward to this. The I guess the only thing is obviously ditching the episodic format. So it's going to be, you know, the binge equivalent, which is how I always played those games anyway. Um, I think apart from Life is Strange 2, which I played some of as it came out and the last few episodes um, I binged very quickly. Uh, And the price tag, which is obviously a steep jump from the earlier games in the series, which never seemed to... uh, retail as high as that yeah but maybe that's part of that next gen tax that we seem to be seeing on everything uh i'm really interested to see what they do with this yeah i, I, I think that i think that price thing to your point i actually think that's just purely attached to the fact that it's not episodic anymore so there's like a stigma that comes to the episodic model and we can't be paying a premium for this and now that we're not that even if it still works out to be roughly the same length i mean what you know we were dealing with like five episodes in the past typically they were each what an hour and a half to two hours long give or take like that's a that's a game that i mean look at ratchet and clank that's just come out they're cha- charging us the, the the premium price here for that and it's it's about the length of an entire season of life is strange combined roughly you know in that yeah. ballpark so well, we can you can do that the and i think thing, they're looking going we can do the same here as well yeah the other thing being that obviously the episodic structure locks you into a particular narrative structure yeah. and it'll be interesting to see them be able to explore what that series can look like when you're not having to try to weave in a one and a half to three hour narrative arc inside each episode yeah. as well as carry that overarching story because i think that's where life is strange 2 started to fall down a little bit for me when you have those weaker episodes that can really stop the whole thing dead in its tracks and then you're having to wait for the next episode uh yeah i'm really keen to try it out uh i think jess is going to handily beat me in oh, yeah. getting that one so i'm there's... sure i'll be i'm sure i'll be ponying my dollars up to get myself a copy there's no contest here jess uh, is going to have that one and she'll be covering it for us and no one else is going to get a look in and that's fine she doesn't put her hand up for anything too often she staked her claim for this one so i think we should all probably just bow to that and jess i hope you enjoy the game the last game that we're going to discuss, and you, as, as I mentioned before, you kind of, a bit of foreshadowing, you signposted this before, uh, a game called Stranger of Paradise, Final Fantasy Origin, or Origins, I can't remember now whether there was an S on the end. Um, Origin, I think it's just Origin. But uh, what did we make of this Team Ninja developed Final Fantasy game that many people were speculating and things had kind of been uh, leaked and rumoured prior was a souls 
game that probably looks and feels a bit more like a DMC or Bayonetta style game in the end. What are your thoughts? It doesn't look like Souls at all. Yeah. Like it does not look like a Souls like, and I think that's just a very lazy comparison by people who probably haven't even played that series the way they're throwing that term about. Well, to be fair, these were it all rumors like... in, in advance, so I guess uh, I mean, things get lost. I in mean, the you've got your you've got your Team Ninja comparisons there with Neo and Neo Two, which even I would say those have Souls esque elements, but I wouldn't classify either of them as a Souls-like for a number of systemic and mechanical reasons. Yep. This looks extremely underwhelming and it looks like they're slapping the Final Fantasy title on it to get some numbers behind it. Because, Paul, does this look or feel like a Final Fantasy game in any way to you? Not even like a modern one. And obviously the modern ones, you know, like 15, for example, 13, 15, I suppose. We we won't count the MMOs for the sake of this. You know, 13 and 15 don't even look and feel like the traditional Final Fantasy model. Um, this doesn't even feel like them. Or look like them, I should say. Um, it's hard to get a bit of a read. Exactly what they're going for. And I guess uh, the fact that they announced that there's a demo that went live and you couldn't, play it because the file they get you to download through the PlayStation Store is corrupted, says about all you need to know about where this game is currently at. It could end up being brilliant, but it's just a little early, too soon to be showing this, I think. I don't think they ever needed to let this thing see the light of day at all. Oh, look, <laughs> it, it, it and is I probably the thing, though. That if, I know we, that if we disconnected Final there. Fantasy in our heads, then maybe we'd be looking at this in a whole other light. But because they've attached it there, there is that association you start to make i would absolutely i would absolutely look at it in a completely different way if they weren't trying to piggyback off the final fantasy name and it's just so hacky and obvious that they're doing it yeah yeah let's go back to the days of infinite undiscovery and last remnant and all that stuff on the the 360 that just they were their own thing and if they worked they worked if they didn't they didn't none of them did except for no actually none of them did um but (laughs) Odyssey was quite good, but that oh, yeah, was you know, yeah, good Mist point. Walker, that was Mist Walker anyway. Um, I don't think there was any of those actual Square developed RPGs that actually worked in the end from that era. But I think they got a few. I think they got on top of a few of them when they finally released them on PC years later. But on the 360, I don't think they held up. The initial launch wasn't well, great. Though. But again, if I could get hands on this game, maybe it would sway my opinion. But from what I saw, the visuals weren't super impressive for a Square Enix game that's supposed to be tied in with the Final Fantasy series given what we've seen with 7 Remastered and, and what has been so hinted far. at for 16 yep, and beyond. Uh, I wonder how long this thing's been gestating for. I read uh, an, I don't know if it was an excerpt from an interview with Nomura who I have been frequently painting as a villain at Square Enix for quite a while due to his lack of oversight or lack of seeming oversight as he's risen through the ranks in that company and this has his fingerprints all over it which is not something i have enjoyed beyond kingdom hearts 2 so yeah as his status on this one everything he's been attached to has suffered in some way shape or form whether it's just purely timeline based stuff or the actual product itself um and that it is a bit of a concern i guess seven remakes the only exception but that was 
the the core DNA was already there, so it gave him a backbone and to I, work I with. I don't want to get too auteurish and ascribe every choice in that game to him, but at the end of the day, in a lot of ways at Square Enix, he is one of the bosses. Oh, yeah. And he can veto things if he wants to. And maybe so... some things should have been vetoed. <laughs> Potentially this. Who and... knows? I mean, our judgment could totally change. As I mentioned, the demo is there and they've recognized that there's an issue and that I assume it's probably just a case of we need to re-upload, something's gone wrong, we'll re-upload and it'll be there when the PlayStation Store refreshes tomorrow or something like that. And so who knows? Our opinions might change completely once we get a chance to go hands-on with it. But as things stand right now, things aren't promising. And it, it looks like it's got had the same issue that a lot of Square Enix developed games have had for a while now, and that is it's gone through hell and back in development and has probably been sitting there for years and years, and they won't toss it in the bin. They'll just shuffle it out. Yeah. Also, did I mention there's chaos? Lots of chaos. I, it's, I do believe some chaos was mentioned. Oh. Holy shit. Um, It was kind of cool to see a a modern take on Garland, I suppose. Like, that's kind of interesting, but, you know, whatever. I mean, this can go back to our Final Fantasy 1, 2, 3 argument from before again. Like, does it really matter? Not necessarily, unless you've been there and done it already. No, and looking at it, is this what you want a prequel for Final Fantasy to be? No, no, I don't think so. Angry man with a sword. Wait a minute, that describes half the protagonist in that series. Good point, good point. (laughs) Maybe maybe it is actually bang on the money. Maybe Nomura's actually got it quite right. No, um, we'll we'll see what happens. And again, our our opinions could potentially change a little bit based on some hands-on time. We'll we'll maybe report back nice and soon. More than happy to say I'm completely wrong once I get some hands-on with some of this stuff. But, you know, I've I've been burnt before Square Enix by you. Many yeah, times. Many times. So I guess that leaves us with probably one more component that we need to touch on. That's the actual presentation done. The thing we probably need to touch on is some of the games that didn't show. So the likes of Final Fantasy 16, the likes of Forspoken. Um, what else didn't show up? I'm sure there's some other glaringly obvious things that I'm not thinking of right now. We could we could maybe say some Dragon Quest stuff, but they did have their presentation recently. Fantasy 7 R2? <laughs> yeah. I, I'm, Which I'm glad they showed restraint. something about I'm actually thrilled they showed restraint. To... And we've seen this uh, a little bit because Final Fantasy that. 16, you know, apparently, I mean, COVID ultimately slowed things down, but apparently there was talk at the time. And I remember Jason Schreiber, being, uh, I mean, he's been one, you know, if we use the Starfield example recently, he was very quick to squash any thought that that was coming out late this year or early next year. He was, he's conservative when it comes to those, uh, when it comes to those timelines. There was a period when that game was first launched where he was saying it was quite possible to come out this year, 2021. Um, and obviously that isn't going to be the case anymore. But the fact that, you know, there was that, at one point in time, there was the possibility that there was going to be a 12-month maybe turnaround between announce and reveal is incredibly unusual for, for, for a core Final Fantasy game. And especially, you know, with what we'd seen with 15, with what we'd seen, um, oh, hell, even 13, I guess, took a while. But yeah, 13, what was versus 13 became 15. Kingdom Hearts 3, Final Fantasy VII Remake. Like, there was a long turnaround between all these things, and that was 
unbelievably frustrating. And lo and behold, we saw all the changes that happened to versus 13 that became 15 and all that sort of stuff. So I'm glad they're showing some degree of restraint. And I hope that, that applies here with, uh, with Remake Part 2. I hope that uh, the Yuffie DLC intermission doesn't, no, it hasn't been some giant distraction. The, the, the core team has been able to go about their business on Part 2 while intermission was developed, but that's now out as well. So fingers crossed we're in a good place for that one. You know, I think I just hope it doesn't take us multiple generations to get all of those parts. But with some of the things that they did in 7R, I'm really expecting... I should say I'm not expecting uh, that game to go the way it does in the original, let's say. Yeah, it does open up the possibilities that that we could somehow be done after one other game. Like we've kind of gone through the remake component of it and then it comes to an end in the second game. Like, that is possible now. They've opened that up without going too spoilerish for for anyone out there watching or listening who hasn't played Final Fantasy VII Remake yet. Um, there is a possibility that they, they've set themselves up that they could wrap it up a lot quicker. And I think you've heard some comments from a few people working on the game that they, they were a little bit anxious about doing this and they didn't want it to be a big, long 10-year endeavour and maybe by setting things up the way they have, they've given themselves that scope to go, part two is actually it. Or maybe three parts, and that's and That might honestly be the way to go with what they have done with that. So yeah. it wouldn't surprise me. Um, 16, I guess, is just... As you've mentioned, they've still got some close alliances with Sony, so some of this stuff might be reserved for Sony conferences later in the year. Yeah, no, 100%. Um, that and Forspoken. So, I mean, I've been very vocal in the lead-up to, to E3 here that we were not going to see Final Fantasy 16 and Forspoken, and we didn't outside of there was like a sizzle reel where we might have seen about a second of new footage from, from both games. Um, I think it kind of shows in what happened with... And admittedly, this is not a Square game, but what happened with Elden Ring, where Elden Ring was debuted on... And actually Tales of Arise, I should say, as well. Both of those games were debuted on the Xbox stage. Um however many years ago in each case. I think Tales was 2019. Was Elden Ring 2019? Or was maybe that was 2018? Something like that. I can't even remember now. Um, but they were both announced on the Xbox stage and Xbox was trying to clearly lean into that association between, you know, we, we want to build something here between the two companies. And then when it gets to E3, obviously 2020 fell apart. 2021 rolls along. Sony's not attending. Um, they're... As much as Xbox has got all this money in the world, that like Band on Amco and I think Square Enix as well is a little bit scared to take their stuff to E3, no matter uh, like the actual E3 event itself, because they don't want any sort of trouble with Sony. Um, that's where they make the majority of their money because the the core audience is on the on that platform, and they don't want there to be any sort of con- uh, perceived conflict of interest because without Sony there, this is Microsoft's event. Pretty much, like everything except Nintendo's uh, Nintendo Direct is directed towards Xbox over the course of this week, and so there's an optical thing there that I think PlayStation didn't want to bar of, and so Bandai Namco went to Jeff Keighley instead because he's very agnostic in terms of how he runs the show. He celebrates everyone, recognizes everyone equally. We've got no concerns about that when it comes to Final Fantasy and Forspoken. PlayStation's obviously locked them down as exclusives, whether they're timed or permanent remains to be seen and sony said you're not you're not having it there there's a there's a albeit small association with xbox here 
you need to come and do it in a state of play that we'll have sometime in the near future. I mean, that that does make a large amount of sense. The other thing I'm wondering is, are they mulling over what seems to be now the inevitable PS4 version of those games? Ooh. Because of what we're seeing with Horizon and God of War and Gran Turismo and all that sort of thing? I've said it time and time again, you cannot ignore 115 million units sold. Yeah. Yeah, It's a tricky one. You just can't do it. And that's... And that's the reason these companies are happy to do a timed exclusive with Sony because what, Xbox has 40 million units out there? 50 maybe at best? Between Xbox One through to Series X? Yeah. It's it's just almost no competition. I mean... I'd agree. Clearly there's some, but I wonder if that's got something to do with it. And as we've seen with console stock shortages, it's going to be years before the PlayStation 5 is anywhere near that number. Like we're talking twenty twenty four. Yeah. And I think And that's probably the earliest think, still that it's gonna get near and that. And even then not yeah. like it's selling better than the PlayStation Four was during the same amount of time, but who knows if that's gonna keep up and how quickly some of those PlayStation Four owners can convert to the PlayStation Five. And also remembering that some of those PlayStation Four owners converted to the PlayStation Four Pro. So yeah. and they might not going to feel the urgency to hold out a little as bit much, longer. yeah. And not to mention there there is no, the variable that is Nintendo, and what you know what we potentially could be seeing happening tomorrow or beyond. We won't 100% get our hopes up around a Switch Pro or whatever it is tomorrow, but like that is a massive spanner in the mix too, because the Switch is selling just as fast as the PS4 did, and a Pro model. I mean, you speak to most hardcore, quote unquote, hardcore gamers that have a switch and they're they're all their eyes lighting up at the idea of getting a little bit more horsepower behind them with, with this sort of thing and, and it is starting to show its age so that could steal a lot of the focus away from play, the playstation console so as well as the xbox like it's something they need to be conscious of at all times i wouldn't be surprised xbox wouldn't do this because of the way microsoft are running the whole xbox smart delivery all yeah. that sort of stuff but i have to imagine that much the same way that sony set a cutoff date for you having to support the playstation uh, 5 with your new software which we saw with ghost of tsushima ready on was it day one i believe is how they did that there was that yeah. cutoff date that if your game is certified after this date it needs to support the playstation 5 i have to imagine it's wouldn't be too far off the mark that they've also set a cutoff date that you can no longer release games on the PlayStation 4 after this point. I mean, that's a, totally a Sony thing. Look, I mean, sure, it's a little bit different, but look what's happening with the Vita and the PS3 right now. So, Sure, and it might sound ridiculous, but honestly, uh, for, I, I can imagine they probably got written somewhere like 2024, you're dreaming. Oh, that's Maybe it. even over. late 2023. Like, yeah. You nothing is coming to the PlayStation 4. We need to push those things into the closet and you need to get a PlayStation 5 or you're not getting any new games. Yep. Yeah, I'm with you. And that'll be motivated by Sony as much as it's motivated by developers who would really love to explore what they can do with those SSD drives and a bit of extra RAM and all of the other graphical capabilities yeah, sure. and audio capabilities of the system. And Square Enix is amongst them just like everyone the else. Same. Yeah they'll get to a point where they say we're really sorry but if you're an xbox one and an xbox one s owner 
you are not going to be able to play this game on Game Pass day and date. It simply will not run on your console. Yeah. And yeah, I think I think or a couple of years is about right, I think. They'll deem it to be they'll deem it to be an experience not up to the standard that they would expect out of a game on their system. And hence it will get cut off. Like and that's the only dangerous thing I think that Xbox are doing with their smart delivery system is building in that expectation that your old hardware should be supported for an extensive period of time, which outside of backwards compatibility, which has always been extremely limited in the past, yeah. is pretty dangerous. PC people are used to it, but PC people also know that if they're trying to run a new game on an old PC, it's not going to work. Yeah, this thing's sustainable for only so long. So um, it'll be curious to see when that cutoff point happens for both the platform holders, Xbox and PlayStation, and then obviously what all the developers such as Square Enix kind of do in response. And I mean, that's where our conversation about Final Fantasy 16 and Forspoken and those sort of things start to really evolve and take form. Hell, maybe even Final Fantasy Remake Part 2. Like, who knows? It might be a little bit tinfoil hatty, but we did speak together about the distinct lack of stuff that's really far out because we often see stuff that's two, three or more years away and I don't say it's three or more years away but if you've been around long enough you know know. that that game is not coming out for another three and I wonder if that's the one of the issues around that not just the COVID development cycle that's hampering everyone getting things done at the moment but also the fact that there is going to be a cutoff at some point and they need to look at PS4 units sold, PS5 units sold how much more can we get out of those systems? Can we release a game that will only run on the PS4 Pro and will be locked out of a PS4 console? Uh, they don't what want to is the furthest date out we're happy to do? No, and uh, and why would you at this point? Like, yeah, I don't blame them at all. There's, there's stuff coming out next year. We might know more, and I think I think there's going to be a pretty long crossover period. Like maybe it would be even good for them to come out and say, hey, look, like we're not showing you games that are three years away because realistically, and I know this doesn't sound nice, but your nearly eight-year-old hardware is not going to be up to snuff by the time it's 11 years old. So you're going to need to get a new console. Yeah, sounds about right. There are interesting questions for, for Square Enix, for all the other third parties, but also the first parties. And I guess... We'll have to see how that evolves with more of these directs, more of these presentations, more E3s. It's going to be kind of fascinating in the, the coming years. Oh, yes. There's lots of excitement to be had. And unfortunately, Square Enix didn't seem to bring a lot of it to this show. Yeah. But that doesn't mean they don't have a few aces up their sleeve going oh, forward. Oh, they absolutely do. It's just a matter of how they choose to deliver them. And if they can deliver them a bit better than this, that'd be great. But that is our Square Enix E3 2021 conversation done. There's been a whole bunch of these that we've done so far. We've touched on Xbox. We've touched on uh, Devolver Digital, Ubisoft, Koch Media. Koch, as we've discovered in recent days. Not Coke, like I've been calling it. Um, and there's more to come. We've got Nintendo. There's there's some other third parties as well. If their presentations are big enough, we might cover them as well. Been lots of really cool stuff over the last few days. And uh, we've, I mean, we mentioned Jess before. Jess is coming on to talk Nintendo with me in the next couple of days. So that's going to be great as well. So make sure you subscribe to the channel so you can catch up with that when it goes live. 
visit the website, player2.net.au, where you'll catch up with all the written reports. Matt, we mentioned before, he's been doing write-ups for every single conference so far. We've had a bunch of people doing some awesome contributions in the news, uh, the news space. You've done a fair few in there, Stephen. I've done none, which has not been good enough, but I'll click into gear in the next day or so, I'd imagine, and just start filling in a lot of gaps, I hope. Oh, look, it's... A lot of other people have said that E3 is a very difficult thing to keep up with, with a team of people, let alone, you know... And that's an entirely staffed, fully funded team who often get sent there and put up in hotels and all these other nice things. And we are a bunch of people trying to do this on Australian internet at 2 a.m. in the morning often. So I would say that we're doing pretty damn well. We're doing a very good job, I think. So so keep your eyes out for all that stuff because there's heaps of awesome stuff for you to go check out. Stephen, thanks for coming aboard and sharing all your thoughts on Square Enix. I knew as soon as I kind of had you circled on my list as being the person to talk Square Enix, no matter what happened, it was going to be a fascinating conversation and it absolutely was. So thanks for coming on board, mate. Worries, you know I'm always happy to shit on companies <laughs> <laughs> that I uh, both love and I only shit on because I love. Yeah. It's... If I didn't love you, Square Enix, then I wouldn't care. Exactly. It's constructive criticism. And if you, the watcher or the or the listener, want to hear Stephen shit on people more, where would, uh, Twitter? Where would they? Where should they be going? I should say. It's at Gorath forty four thousand. It's probably just easier to look at the player two thing and find me via that. And if you're uh, if you're watching well, the video, I think I'm pretty it's nice right on above his head. So just look up Stephen. It's right there, hovering ominously above you. They're actually perfect. Exactly where you need to look. You couldn't have done that any better. Uh, Paul James Games for me. The website is player2au. And as I said before, stay tuned because we've got more of these to come. Thanks for watching. We'll see you later. Bye.